Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 23 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Sixty-three-year-old Nora Trott ran a boutique, Felicity Jane, on North Street in Rochford, Essex. She was blonde and petite at only four feet eleven inches tall. People were surprised when she announced her age. Nora looked incredibly young for someone in their early sixties. Nora loved animals, often taking in strays if they needed a home paying out of her own pocket if any veterinary treatment was required. She lived a quiet life, alone in the flat above her clothes shop. Eighteen years earlier, she separated from her husband Ronald Trott, who was a barrister working in London. Nora never remarried. Although divorced, the pair were more than amicable. Nora even spent time with Ronald's children from his second marriage. She was kind and well-liked. Nora never travelled far. Her whole life had been spent in Rochford, a market town in the east of England. On Monday, November 6th, 1978, Nora left her flat and ventured out in the late evening, planning to go to Southend-on-Sea, visiting a friend who was unwell. Nora's car was parked in a garage behind the old ship pub, not even a hundred yards from her flat. 
making the journey in the dark wasn't too daunting, as the car was merely a short walk away. Besides, there was plenty of foot traffic, and the streets were well lit. It was a journey she made often. From the window in her flat, she could see the pub and Old Ship Lane, the one-way street she would need to walk down to get to her car. The detectives who worked the case would estimate Nora left the property just before 8pm, though couldn't be totally sure. She had promised to bring her friend a few items to help him convalesce, some chocolates and magazines. She would never keep that promise. In fact, Nora Trot would never be seen alive again. Nora's friend Frank Prime was surprised when she didn't show up. He at first phoned her flat but received no response. Frank then contacted Nora's only surviving relative, her sister Teresa, but she had not heard from her either. Frank then got in touch with Nora's acquaintances. A close friend Alan Carter was called by Frank and told that their friend was missing. In the early hours of the next morning, November 7th, Alan, who also lived in Rochford, decided to pay Nora a visit to make sure she was okay. When he arrived at her flat on North Street, he got no response. Puzzled but still not thinking the worst, Alan knew that Nora had a garage where she stored her car, so walked the short distance down Old Ship Lane to the right of the Old Ship Pub finding the garage door open and the vehicle still inside. Nora's handbag was laying on the floor nearby, but there was no sign of the 63-year-old. Alan was worried. He decided to contact the police. Several officers arrived to assess the scene. They first headed to Nora's flat to ensure that she hadn't just dropped her bag by the garage and then headed somewhere on foot before returning home. They too received no response. Going back to the garage for a second time, the officers inspected the immediate area. They could see specks of blood on the inside of the garage doorframe. This suggested if there had been an attack, it had been carried out when the door was opened. Things were not looking good. The officers widened the search to include the pathways and alleys surrounding the garage. It was then they found Nora's semi-naked body in some thick undergrowth. Her injuries were horrifying. From the scene, they surmised that when Nora arrived behind the old ship pub to collect her car, she took a key from her handbag to unlock the padlock which secured the garage door. As the door opened, the killer struck Nora forcefully on the back of the head before she dropped her bag. She had injuries to her face and head, and it looked as though with the full force of his heel, the attacker brought down his foot onto Nora's throat, crushing her voice box. This was likely to stop her from calling out. She was dragged into an adjoining alleyway off the town centre before her clothes were ripped off and she was raped. The assailant then stole her belongings which included a shopping bag before he fled. 
Soon after, Nora Trot died from asphyxiation. She choked on her own blood. The majority of her blood-stained clothing had been thrown in the boot of her car. Other items which had likely been discarded as the attacker made their getaway were later found on a neighbouring street. These included a purse, underwear and part of Nora's dentures. No money had been stolen, so it appeared as though the attack was solely sexually motivated. During a post-mortem, it was discovered that Nora had suffered fractures to the skull and some of her teeth from Nora's dentures were found in her throat. Her body showed signs of severe internal trauma. The attack was barbaric. Though the option of DNA analysis would not be available until well into the next decade, seminal fluid was recovered from the body, along with a stain on a dress found at the scene. Police could determine the attacker's blood group, but little else. While this was helpful to rule suspects out of the investigation, it wasn't the smoking gun the detectives needed. A large number of fingerprints were recovered from the scene, but after comparing them to the individuals who had access to the garage and had a valid reason to be there not connected to Nora's murder, every single print was matched and there appeared to be no other trace of the attacker. Close to two dozen detectives worked the case. The patrons and staff of public houses were questioned and police went door to door asking the residents of the small market town if they had seen or heard anything. While there were some sightings of Nora prior to her attack, it seemed no one saw the brutal events unfold. Before she left her flat on North Street, Nora was spotted in the doorway of the property around 6pm. She spoke to an employee around an hour and a half later on the telephone, This was the last time anyone heard from her. Nora must have left her flat at some point after this call. Based on the testimony of witnesses in the area, there were no reports of any disturbances. This was until just after 8pm, when someone was spotted behind a wall to the rear of the old ship public house. The attacker, who at this point was in the middle of the assault, had been seen by the mother and father-in-law of the pub's landlord. Even though they shouted at the man, this did little to dissuade him. He laughed and continued with the act, telling them that he had a girl with him. He was dismissed. The witnesses were firmly of the belief that the young man and the girl apparently with him were a couple and their passions had got the better of them. This assumption could not be further from the truth. The attacker continued with the assault before fleeing. After being interviewed by police, Alfred and Doris Glider would describe the man they saw as young, 18 to 25. He had light-coloured hair, maybe blonde or brown, and he was clean-shaven. Police at least now had a description of the suspect. The killer was labelled an evil, 
cold-blooded sex maniac by the press, with headlines such as Horror of the Laughing Killer emblazoned at the top of an article recounting the events. Peter Crust, Detective Chief Superintendent for Essex Police, who was involved in the inquiry into Nora's murder, would address reporters saying, We must catch him before anything like this happens again. Nora's ex-husband Ronald Trott was called to identify the body of his ex-wife. Nora's funeral was held at St. Teresa's Roman Catholic Church, less than half a mile from where her body was found. Officers attended the ceremony, keeping a watchful eye on the mourners in case the killer decided to attend. As days turned to weeks, and weeks turned to months, there seemed to be little movement on the case, and the investigation wound down. Four months had passed, and the details of the evidence gathered by detectives are yet to be released to the press. However, reporters were told they would be revealed in the fullness of time. Following the murder, a number of sightings of potential suspects had been gathered. A male dressed in flares, a light-coloured shirt and a bomber jacket was spotted leaving the area near the scene of the crime. There had also been a man seen watching Nora as he stood on the path outside the old ship pub. The same man or someone who looked incredibly similar was observed near the garage where Nora parked her car. He was young, slim, with light-coloured hair. Furthermore, there was a sighting of another young man, aged between 18 to 25, helping Nora carry her shopping bag earlier in the day, and police were keen to speak with him, as they hadn't yet been able to track him down. Coincidentally, on the night Nora was killed, two young boys riding past on their pushbikes saw a man whose behaviour they found to be odd. They decided to follow him. He appeared to be unaware they were watching him. The man travelled to Oast Way, around 800 feet from the scene as the crow flies. An earlier sighting placed the man on a cut through to Greenways close to Stambridge Road. This connects the town of Rochford to Canoodon, a village in the Rochford district of Essex. Was the killer heading there? The man was clutching a wicker shopping bag, but quickly discarded the item in a dustbin before retracing his steps. As they continued following him, the boys travelled up a one-way street only for a policeman to stop them before they could pursue the man further. The boys reported what they had seen to the officer. The shopping bag was then retrieved, and it was stained with blood. The immediate area where the bag was found was searched, and officers discovered a pair of scissors which belonged to Nora, as did the blood on the shopping bag. Another witness had also seen the man, though he could not clearly recall the individual's appearance. This eyewitness underwent hypnosis. He described a man with light to medium brown hair, clean-shaven, aged between 18 to 25. He also noted the man he was describing had a pointed nose. 
a police sketch artist created a rough drawing of the person the police sought in connection with the killing of Nora Trott, and this was circulated locally. The search for Nora Trott's killer was unprecedented. Officers from the Essex Police Force interviewed nearly 12,000 people, went door-to-door to over 4,000 homes, took thousands of statements, and blood samples were taken from almost 100 people. But it seemed as though the man responsible had disappeared like a ghost in the fog. That was until a witness spotted him, not once, but twice. Doris Glider, the mother-in-law of the old ship's landlord, thought she saw the man in Rochford Town Centre, so reported the sightings to police. The individual was eventually tracked down and questioned. However, he was forensically ruled out of the investigation. While his appearance did match the description given by the witness, the police sketch, and he lived close to the scene, his blood type did not match the semen sample recovered. People were quick to point the finger at this suspect. He had additional learning needs, and at the time it helped fuel the rumour and gossip that he was involved. This cloud of suspicion would hang over his head for the next 25 years. The case would be reviewed now and again over the next two decades, when new pieces of information were uncovered or a witness came forward but it was never enough to make any progress on the case. It seemed like Nora Trott's murder would forever remain a mystery. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Following a detailed evaluation of all the unsolved cases they had on their books, in 2003 Essex Police established an investigative review team who sought to identify 10 cold cases with the highest probability of being solved. It was not easy, as Norotrot's murder predated any digital system that was utilised by law enforcement, namely Holmes, the Home Office large major inquiry system used by the UK police force for the investigations of major crimes. But with the advances in forensic science, the cold case team reviewed the evidence collected and managed to develop a DNA profile from the intimate swabs taken from Nora's body and the dress she wore that had remained preserved for 25 years. They discovered two profiles. One was hers, and the other detectives believed was her killer. With these advancements, police were also able to cross-reference the samples of both blood and saliva taken from 300 local men during the time of the initial investigation. It was hoped they might be able to find something. Later that year in July, a letter was received by police in Southend-on-Sea. The author, who did not provide their name, mentioned that the man police were hunting in relation to the murder of Nora Trott lived in Ilford and was a regular at the old ship public house close to the scene. The letter referred to a patron of the pub who often bothered local women with blonde hair to join him for a drink. The man would frequently become agitated when his advances were rebuffed. The correspondence was forensically examined for clues but its author was never identified. Coincidentally, in October 2003, a woman came forward to report that she had been attacked only a few days before Nora Trott's murder. Like Nora, the woman had blonde hair and wore a leather jacket similar to one Nora owned. 
She explained that she was assaulted by a man who grabbed her, but she managed to fight him off along with two other men who just so happened to be passing by. With this new information, police released the details to the press in the hope this might inspire other women who had been approached or possibly assaulted to come forward with information. A retired detective chief inspector spoke with the BBC about the case and the work he was now doing as part of the investigative review team. Ray Newman said, If there are still people out there who are willing to come forward after all this time, it gives us hope that this crime can be solved. An appeal was also made for any relatives of Nora's that might still be alive. Her sister Teresa had since passed away. In July 2004, Essex police continued to examine the case they had recently reopened under the investigative review team. Detective Superintendent Simon Coxall, who was heading up the inquiry, said, There is new technology which wasn't available to police years ago, and people's preparedness to speak out changes over the years. A further statement provided by Essex police mentioned that new technology and advances in forensic science might be the key to cracking the case of not only Nora Trott's murder, but also the nine others that they were working, highlighting the importance of what information the public might hold. A reward of £5,000 was offered by Crime Stoppers for each of the cases the Essex detectives had been reviewing, with the public urged to contact the confidential charity if they knew anything. Some of the crimes were dating back as far as 30 years. One such case related to the murder of devout Christian Ronald Cousins. The 78-year-old was found strangled then stabbed to death in Chelmsford during 1994. The killer had then coated the body in white paint and stuffed pages from a Bible in Ronald's mouth. The bath in the property had been left running. The house had been turned over and the curtains left drawn. The back door had also been left unlocked. Signs of strangulation were evident with the body exhibiting a red mark around the neck. Ronald Cousins was stabbed in the chest, neck and back. Stranger still was £700 in cash, which had been hidden in the oven by Ronald, remained untouched. The money had either not been found or simply left there by the attacker. Police weren't sure. A knife had been balanced on the body, but forensic testing revealed it was not the knife used in the crime. Ronald Cousins was incredibly religious and offered his home to many people who were down on their luck. Although apart from the kindness he provided to strangers, by all accounts, he lived a rather lonely existence. This left detectives with a sizable pool of suspects and although arrests were made, no one was charged. The contents of the pages stuffed into Ronald's mouth were significant, although police have never revealed what was written on them. DNA was also extracted from the scene, but this did not match anyone on the National DNA Database. The database contained samples recovered from crime scenes, along with convicted criminals or those people awaiting trial. 
no one so far has been charged with Ronald Cousins' murder. A statement from Essex Police regarding the reinvestigation into the murder cases that included both Ronald Cousins and Nora Trott was issued to the press. It is hoped that due to the passage of time, changes in allegiances and the offer of enhanced rewards will encourage people to share any information they may have. The detective who was leading the investigative review team said that there will be no let-up on our part until the families get the peace they deserve from knowing what took place and why, and we are asking the people of Essex to assist us like they always do. Cases of this seriousness will never be put to rest, and Essex Police will continue to do all that is possible to bring the offenders involved to justice and continue to make Essex a safe place where criminals will always have to look over their shoulder and await that knock on the door. Following the appeal made by Essex Police, they received a large amount of calls from the public regarding the murder of Nora Trott. Several of these calls were labelled crucial, with some promising results. Investigative review officer Ray Newman, who later wrote a book, finally laid to rest, that outlined the events and his time with the review team, again spoke with the press, telling them, quote, We are heartened by this response, because it confirms that there are people out there who know what happened in some of these cases, and who had the presence of mind to pick up the telephone and pass that information on. The only problem was the individuals who reached out did not provide their contact details, and officers felt there was more to the story, so continued appeals were made requesting that those people again get in touch. Despite an extensive manhunt, appeals to the public, and the leaps and bounds in forensic testing, no one with any tangible information came forward and there wasn't a single match on any of the samples taken. It looked like the case of Nora Trott's murder would never be solved. A month earlier, during July 2004, PC Paul Sykes and PC Robert Foote were travelling through Cambridge in their patrol car. They noticed a man driving erratically. Assuming the driver might be under the influence, they pulled over the vehicle. They asked the man to get out of his car and take a breathalyzer test. He was arrested as he was over the legal drink-drive limit. While taking a routine mouth swab, the man's DNA was also taken before he was released. The following month, a search for Nora Trott's killer was again processed against the National DNA Database. There was a breakthrough. The drink driver's profile matched the one found on Nora Trott's skirt. The only problem was, he was no longer in police custody and he was not at his home in Rochford. After a detailed search, he was eventually tracked down to a hotel in St. Peterport, Guernsey, where he was working as a builder. He was arrested on Friday, October 8th, 2004, but his return to England was not without its problems. As he was in Guernsey, which is not part of the United Kingdom or Europe, 
as it is a self-governing British Crown dependency. Extradition paperwork had to be filed. Following a protracted set of proceedings, he was eventually returned home and interviewed by police. While being questioned, a photo of Nora Trott was placed on the table. The suspect spoke the words, Oh my God. He was questioned about his potential involvement in the rape and murder of Nora Trott. He repeated only two words for the rest of the interview. No comment. The 49-year-old dressed in a shirt and jeans with flecks of grey in his brown-coloured hair appeared before a South End magistrate and was told in a further hearing at Chelmsford Crown Court that he would be held until the following year when the trial for the murder of Nora Trott would take place. The man arrested was 49-year-old Wayne Philip Doherty. Over a quarter of a century earlier in 1978, Doherty was living with his wife and two children in Canoodon, the village in Essex just over four miles north of the spot where Nora's body was found. He was working as a builder, spending much of his time away from home often in Europe. Only days after Nora Trott was murdered, Doherty left for Germany. He had been interviewed as part of the initial investigation, although was ruled out as a suspect. He had told officers that while he did spend time in Rochford Town drinking at the Old Ship pub, he was at home decorating the night Nora was killed. Officers spoke to his wife who corroborated his story, so no further action was taken and the man who had now been forensically linked to the murder scene was let go. Then free, he committed at least one other sex crime, which the jury would not be made aware of until after the trial. The trial began in Essex at the end of October 2005. The prosecutor Martin Levitt told jurors at Basildon Crown Court that Wayne Doherty was the man who raped and killed Nora Trott over 25 years earlier. Levitt said the attacker either intended to kill her or cause her serious bodily harm. Doherty denied the charges of rape and murder and pleaded not guilty. Martin Levitt explained that Doherty lived in Canoodon, a stone's throw away, as he would state, from the scene of the crime. As the case was so old, it came with some challenges as the garage that Nora used at that time no longer existed, so a digital recreation of the scene had to be constructed, superimposing the structure in place and then adding the details of the body's location over that, bringing a decades-old cold case into the 21st century. After the analysis was completed on both Nora Trott's body and clothing, a DNA profile of her killer had been extracted. The DNA techniques were not available to the police force during the original investigation in 1978. The chances of the DNA found on Nora's body belonging to anyone other than Wayne Doherty was 1 in 180,000. While this finding was damning, 
It was the DNA extracted from the seminal fluid on Nora's clothing that was incredibly difficult to argue with. There was a 1 in 190 million chance that this did not belong to Doherty. So the defence's strategy was not to dispute the science, but argue there must have been a mix-up. Counsel for Doherty claimed that it must have been someone else, as his client was innocent. Along with the judge, barristers and members of the jury were taken to North Street where Nora had lived, the area where the attack took place, the old ship public house, which is now a restaurant, and the path it was believed the killer had taken after the attack, onto Oast Way, then travelling north to Stambridge Road, heading in the direction of Canoodon. This just so happened to be where Wayne Doherty lived. The only witness called at the trial by the defence was Wayne Doherty. His counsel, Michael Walkine, spoke to the 12 members of the jury, telling them they would be, in his words, gambling if they sided with the evidence presented by the prosecution, as he insisted that his client was innocent and the results must be wrong. To decide that Doherty was guilty would be a mistake, Michael Walkind would tell the jury. After the evidence was presented during a trial that lasted two weeks, including exhibits that highlighted Doherty's DNA was at the scene, jurors retired to consider their verdict. It was unanimous. Wayne Doherty was found guilty. The judge, Philip Glegg, sentenced him to life with a minimum term of 23 years behind bars. Doherty's sentence included 23 years for the murder of Nora Trott and 10 years for her rape. The sentences would be served concurrently and Doherty would remain on the sex offenders register for the rest of his life. When handing down the sentence, the judge spoke of Nora's death, telling Doherty that he ended her life in the most humiliating of circumstances, describing him as plainly a very dangerous man. The judge also addressed the collaboration between officers and forensic scientists who had worked the case. Quote, It is entirely due to their perseverance and dedication that the perpetrator of this lady's rape and murder has finally been brought to justice. I hope it brings a degree of resolution to those who have been mourning her death for many years. So where are we now? In a startling revelation following the verdict, along with a number of unrelated offences, the court was informed that two years after the murder of Nora Trott, Wayne Doherty sexually assaulted a two-year-old girl. In a harrowing sequence of events, the girl's mother was picking up another one of her children from Bible class when Doherty noticed the child unattended in a car. He led the two-year-old away from the vehicle to a secluded spot before assaulting her. When the child's mother returned and became hysterical, screaming because her daughter was missing, Doherty fled, 
leaving the girl abandoned. A passerby luckily found the little one, who was subsequently returned to her mother. Doherty was arrested and sentenced to 15 months in prison for indecent assault. This was only a hundred yards from where Nora Trott was murdered. It was presumed that if it had not been for the little girl's mother screaming as she did, Doherty might have continued with the abduction and assault, possibly leading to something far worse. Another detail which police discovered during their investigation of Doherty was that he did not resemble the slim young man that police were looking for. This suggested that the witness sightings of potential suspects may well have been men that were in no way connected to the crime. After the verdict outside the court, Nora's ex-husband said, This is a great day for the forensic science services and for justice in our jury system. I think that the forensic scientists and Essex police have done a marvellous job in so diligently following up their inquiries 27 years after this terrible event. No one can bring Nora back to enjoy the retirement she was looking forward to, but convicting her vicious killer is the next best thing. Detective Superintendent Simon Dinsdale, who was the senior investigating officer once Doherty was in custody, would later tell a local reporter, Gina Marden, quote, I couldn't stop any of these people being murdered, unfortunately. What I can do is get justice for the victim and their family. It is a desperate time for the families and it is so sad. I can patronise them by saying I know how they feel, but even with all my experience, I can't even begin to imagine what it is like for them. As for the murderers, They don't have the same mindset as you or I. They are almost living in a parallel universe. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.